This podcast is not safe for work and will feature movie spoilers. It will feature scenes described of a graphic nature. It will contain language which most listeners may find offensive. Welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. This is episode 144. I'm your host Duncan McLeish and welcome to the show. On episode 144 I will be joined by my good buddy Dern Wilson from the Psychosemantic Podcast and the VD Clinic to look at a little movie he picked as part of a competition we ran a couple of months ago through our newsletter The Serpent and the Rainbow by the late great Wes Craven. So that'll be coming up after that first break. Um, for those that hadn't checked out yesterday's episode, which was disc number eight of the Italian collection by 88 Films, you might not know, if you're not following our social medias as well, that um, I can now announce that the reason Baz is off for uh, a couple of months from Podcast Under the Stairs is because his new child uh, arrived on the 31st of May, uh, a bouncing baby boy who has been named Lewis Gerard Lowe. So yeah, we can't be overjoyed enough um, on this podcast that the Baz uh, baby and mother are all doing really, really, really well. I'm really looking forward to going to meet the wee fella, hopefully see him this week. And if I do, no doubt there will be pictures posted in the social medias. Um, I'm very, very, very excited. I'm glad that they got through. And understandably, now that the cat is out the bag on this one, we now know why the Baz won't be here for a couple of months because small child plus he's got another one for for the longer term listeners will know this is two kids now he's got under the age of two uh, which is a handful to say the least um a long gone distant memory will be those nights where he had a fairly uninterrupted sleep yeah you're not getting that for a while Baz so yeah uh, all the well wishes to the Baz and fam now this is a two episode week for Podcasts Under The Stairs. Kicking off with this episode here, there will be a bonus episode dropping on Thursday, ladies and gents, on Thursday. So, yeah, that's all the housekeeping. Didn't have much else to say except uh, this is the first formal numbered episode uh, off Legion Podcast Network. So hopefully everyone migrated over to this feed and you're now not short of a podcast Under The Stairs episode this week. You're all following. If you haven't migrated over, then you can't hear this warning. Um, so yeah, it's been for nothing. Kind of like Patrick Bateman at the end of American Cycle. This confession means nothing. Right, I'm going to take my first break of this episode. You're going to hear promos for shows that I love. You're going to hear the trailer for The Serpent and the Rainbow. When I come back, I'll be joined with my good buddy, Dern Wilson, right after this. Hello, everyone. I'm Rick Morgan, and I want to share with you a scientific breakthrough that can change your life. Many people struggle through life with personal imperfections, shameful actions, and bad habits. So I'm here to tell you that there is a cure. All you have to do is subscribe to the House of Wax Classic Horror Podcast. I've been subscribed for only two months, and my results have been amazing. But don't take my word for it. 
Listen to these subscribers' success stories. I used to have pampered chef parties at my house and murder everyone that would show up. But after listening to the House of Wax, I don't even cook anymore. I used to have bad teeth, but since subscribing to House of Wax, I show my pearly whites wherever I go. I suffer with the need of bestiality. But since House of Wax, I don't suffer anymore. Huh? Oh no, no, I still love the animals. I just don't feel as guilty with House of Wax playing in the background. So if you need a new horror show, then listen to the House of Wax podcast. It might just save your life. House of Wax is a proud member of Legion Podcast. And you can actually see this show on the new YouTube channel. Just look up House of Wax. This is a test of the emergency podcasting system. Listen to the Psychosemantic Podcast. Politics, movies, and political movies. Find us on Facebook, iTunes, Stitcher, legionpodcasts.com, the Psychosemantic Podcast. From Wes Craven, director of A Nightmare on Elm Street. comes a story of the forbidden world between life and death. There's a door to the mystical. And you just walked through it. Somebody brought him back from the grave. And I want to know how they did it. Death is not the end. I'll take your soul. You think you can take these people's secrets and just walk away? In the shadows of the imagination lies the ultimate nightmare. Don't let them bury me. I'm not dead. The Serpent and the Rainbow. And welcome back. So, ladies and gents, you just had the trailer for this movie that we're going to be discussing on this episode of the podcast Under the Stairs. It's The Serpent and the Rainbow from 1988. Joining me for this review is the man who won the opportunity to have this movie reviewed on the show. And then I forced him to come on and review it. Because that's what I'm like. How you thought you won, you won nothing. Now you must, <laughs> now you must watch a movie and be on the show. Because no one gets away with anything. Because that's just the way I operate. Uh, is of course my very, very good friend. The man behind the Psycho-Semantic podcast. As well as one half of the VD Clinic. Is the pretty phenomenal Darren Wilson. How you doing, sir? I am doing wonderful, sir. How about yourself? I am all the better for speaking to you. It makes me happy. We have not... I want to say we've not podcasting. It's been a couple of months, maybe. It, it has been some time, yeah. Yeah. We, we chat a lot, though, which is good. We do, and we got some uh, fun, a couple coming up uh, this, this summer. Oh, yeah. Yes, just one or two, one or two. And then, obviously, well, on podcasts under the stairs, as well as um, uh, a little awesome stop by the old bunker for uh, some psychosemantic podcast action 
Um, yes. With two planned shows, I think. I think there's like there's one kind of floating around with a, a kind of Westworld, future world idea with me and Bo. Yes. And there is the <laughs> inevitable 17-hour political diatribe, which is me and Smoke on your show for New Jack City. So um, <laughs> it's both both make me very, very happy. I, I can't wait to talk about all three of those movies. It'll be a ton of fun. Yeah, they're going to be a ton of fun. Oh, yes. I can't wait. Um, you picked this movie uh, to go into the Bowl of Doom to be selected with, um, I'll be honest, quite a high calibre. And movies were suggested, and it was drawn from the bowl. The movie was Serpent and the Rainbow from 1989, directed by the late, great Wes Craven. The movie stars Bill Pullman, Kathy Tyson, Zach Smokey, uh, Paul Winfield, Brett Jennings, Conrad Roberts. <laughs> this is where it gets really bad. Badja, Jola, uh, Teresa Merritt, Michael Goff. Uh, Day Young, other folks. Um, synopsis for this one is an anthropologist goes to Haiti after hearing rumours about a drug used in black magic practitioners to turn people into zombies. Now, before we kick into this one, the the kind of premise for these movies was pick a movie that I had never done on podcast under the stairs that you'd be quite interested to hear me review. And you went with Serpent in the Rainbow. Now, I have been vocal in the past about this that I'd never covered this on a podcast and it's a movie that I have kind of fond memories for. Is that why you chose it or was there was there another reason? Was there just something where you were like, I just kind of want to hear Duncan talk about this? It was partially that because you and I had had a couple conversations. Um, I think last year this almost happened. Mm-hmm. That's right. And, and uh, also I almost never pass up an opportunity to, to suggest a good Wes Craven movie. <laughs> I don't know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, the guy that played the head of the Tonton Makut may be lesser known for being in the masterpiece called A Vampire in Brooklyn. Oh my god, that movie. Uh... <laughs> it's like it's like Wes Craven just like to, to build his career up to kind of just piss on it and then yeah. build it back up. I mean, like, he is one of, I've said this many, many times, he's one of the most storied careers when it comes to to his filmography. It really is, like, if you were to chart it as the shape of a, a really rambunctious roller coaster, um, <laughs> because you start off with such, the, such dizzying highs of, you know, uh, Last House on the Left, and uh, Hills Have Eyes, and then you kind of move into that Hills Have Eyes too, and you're like, oh, flashback for the dog? Really? <laughs> really? Uh, and then Swamp Thing, and you're like, well, this guy's lost it, he's off the fucking rails. Um, but, you know, he's got a couple of interesting ones. Uh, Deadly Blessings, I think, is a really interesting little movie. Um, I think when you look at, you know, icons of the genre, whether it's, uh, you know, a nightmare in Elm Street or clearly a people under the stairs. Uh, you know, the guy the guy had, like, some some proper hits, like Scream is obviously redefines a generation of horror fans. Nightmare on Elm Street redefines a generation of horror fans. And Last House on the Left redefines, a, and you know, a decade, a, a decade apart, um, for those, so he's one of the very few directors that can say he shaped the genre um, over three decades. There's a few can do it, but 
on the flip side of that, you have to wade through some pretty awful movies. Uh, Swamp <laughs> Thing is a classic case in point on that one. Uh, Vampire in Brooklyn, I am not a fan of at all. I know some people think it's funny. Um, I don't. Uh, I really think it is just a, a kind of really good idea, which is just not handled or or, or worked correctly. Um, Scream Three is a fucking abomination. Um, that movie did where? What was it? The one where they all have the same birthday? Oh, <laughs> such a fucking bad movie. And um, and even I, I didn't hate that Red Light movie, the one with uh, Kelly and Murphy. I thought it was I thought it was all right, but it didn't feel like a Wes Craven movie. And then you have these little oddities, like People Under the Stairs to me is an oddity of a movie, it's kind of why I love it. Separating the Rainbow is also a bit of an oddity of a movie when you think Wes Craven. It doesn't feel like a Craven movie when you watch it, it doesn't have the kind of quirky humour that is ill-placed, um, or ill-thought-out, or badly written, <laughs> um, at all. He's not really known for doing adaptations of you know other people's works, maybe outside of something like like a swamp thing he's not really working off literary tomes if you know what I mean and this one's obviously based off the book by the same name um, and it's just not something you would associate with Craven at all you know what I mean You'd like it's, it's, a, it's a weird one it's a really weird one and coming back to watch it for this show and we were talking off air this is the first time I've seen this movie in about a decade um, and I got the Scream Factory Blu-ray as soon as it came out. I got it shipped over from America. Um, I've had it for about a year. It is late in its shrink wrap for a year. Um, took that shrink wrap off tonight. Sat <laughs> down, watched the movie. Finished literally five minutes before we started recording. And there's a lot I really enjoy about this movie. There are some elements that are head-scratching for me. Um and I'm just going to put it down to it's a Wes Craven movie and you just kind of you have to accept that there are very few Wes Craven movies that don't I think maybe the the perfect Wes Craven movie is Scream because it's the only movie that really gets away from being well really gets away with being goofy because of the fun it's having at the expense of the genre Um I can't think of any other movie where I don't think he has at least one or two shots that just make me think, as you know, you've that's not good, Wes. <laughs> Whether it's like cops listening to bungling music driving around, you know, these little rural roads, or it's Freddy Krueger with his obviously terrible fucking googly arms. It's a terrible. <laughs> it's such a bad scene, and every every year it ages worse. Um, you know that things that just don't marry up, um, and Serpent the Rainbow doesn't have the humour per se, but there's a couple of things I'm like that's a quirky choice. Not sure why we did that, um, and I can only assume it's in the book. It's my it's my assumption. Uh, what's your history with the Serpent and the Rainbow? Is this one that you came to later on, or is this one from the the, the youth? Uh, well, it's definitely one of the ones that in my youth was one of the movies where the VHS box scared the shit out of me. Oh yeah. It's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't know who Bill Pullman was. So I had no, the, the white face with the bloody cross screaming, you know, what screaming over the coffin. Yeah. Over the coffin lid. Um, but yeah, that just in itself, it's like, what, what is this? Is he alive or is he dead? And why the fuck is he in a coffin? 
Um, and he doesn't look happy about being a coffin, and rightly so, because it's a fucking coffin. <laughs> uh, but I didn't see any of it except for... There is one of those earlier childhood memories where I went downstairs, I woke up at night, and my dad was watching this. He, he really liked uh, to watch horror movies, but he didn't really do it around us that much. And I walked in on the bloody coffin scene. Oh, nice. <laughs> and that's, I, that's, that's, that's several hundred hours in a shrink's chair right there. <laughs> you know, I do not know if it contributed to my long-standing fear of being buried alive, but I'm sure it did. <laughs> <laughs> didn't help it let's put it that yeah, way <laughs> you know that and that would usually be one of the creepy sounds my dad played on a record during trick-or-treat was a buried alive person but um i didn't watch sit down and watch the movie proper until maybe uh high school mm-hmm. uh or yeah sometime mid to late high school when i got really into west craven found out he was from a couple hours drive north of me and that sort of piqued my interest and i just did the deep dive luckily i skipped over most of his garbage until i couldn't really hold it against him for all the great shit i've seen (laughs) it's just so strange it really really is like a couple of those masters of horror are are weirdly inconsistent i mean craven's batting average he, he certainly made a lot more good to excellent movies than he did poor to awful movies that being said he, he tonally is all of the place in the 80s I mean he, he just doesn't he, like 70s he, he finds he's kind of striding down the, the really kind of gritty exploitative um, kind of grindhouse sort of movies um, and then towards the end of his career obviously he rides the coattails of Scream as long as he can but when you look at these, it's just fucking bonkers. I mean, like, absolutely. But, like, to the point where it doesn't make sense that he's doing all the projects that he's doing. You know what I mean? It's like, because he's, <laughs> he's a very active director. But when you jump from, uh, you know, something like Deadly Blessing, which is an interesting little concept, once again, doesn't necessarily feel like uh you know like a Wes Craven movie per se um, but I like the setting and I like the, the kind of the story behind it and once again it has a bit of goofiness which we could maybe do without um Swamp Thing is bad <laughs> it's not a good movie at all um and then you've got something like um you know the House of Eyes part two which we've already spoke about is not great it comes out the same year as Nightmare on Elm Street though which is Bitchin', um, Deadly Fiend, which once again isn't a bad movie, it's not a great movie, and it does suffer for what well, if anything, it suffers from being a bit too at times serious. You know what I mean? You're like, <laughs> now's the time to try a bit of levity, and when that does come through, it works a bit better. Separate in the Rainbow, which we're obviously going to talk about, it closes out the decade with Shocker, which is. I mean, I've got a lot of time for Shocker. It is not a good movie. I mean, I have I have like serious fun watching Shocker, but it is not a good movie. <laughs> it really, really, really isn't. Soundtrack is bitching. The VHS cover we're talking about them. You press that thing and it would light up. That's cool as fuck, right? <laughs> the movie is not good. Yeah, and then he opens up the '90s with uh, people under the stairs. Yeah, that's, that's what it kicks off with, which is a movie that feels like. 
it probably should have came out in 1989. Doesn't feel like a 90s movie at all. It's like so fucking painfully a hangover from the 80s. You know, he's like, just literally, I can't get this movie made, I can't get this movie made. Oh, I finally can get this movie made. And no one sat down and said to him, well, we're in a different decade now, Wes. And, uh, you know, that crazy, goofy, over-the-top horror stuff doesn't really sell anymore. Everyone likes Hannibal Lecter and Silence of the Lambs and Misery. And, you know, that's where the world's going. Um, what's that? Go fuck myself? Okay, Wes, no problem. Because uh, it really is. It's such a, like, I, there will be one day that the people under the stairs will be formally reviewed on this podcast with the Baz. It will happen. It will be the greatest thing that has ever happened in podcasts under the stairs history because he's never seen it. And I don't. Th- I think the first thing he'll say to me is, "You named our fucking show after that," and I'll be like, <laughs> "Yes, yes, I did." And then he'll probably not speak to me again. But like, to me, there's. As goofy as that movie is, there are things that you can very clearly hang your hat on that you can't with Shocker um, at all. You like just just can't do it. Or subsequently, something like Vampire in Brooklyn. Once again, not sure, not sure, not sure what was going on there. I can only assume that Eddie Murphy had something over him. Um, you know, like uh, you're like <laughs> you you Wes. I've got a photo of you fucking a dog. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like with Eddie Murphy laugh. As much as as much. I don't know. That's I don't a good know. One. Oh, thank you. I, I, you know, one tries one's best. Uh, to do an Eddie Murphy laugh for some reason um, but yeah it's, it's a weird choice but the big problem I have right, with Serpent in the Rainbow is that I just don't think Bill Pullman is a great actor and I've always okay. felt I've always felt that way I think Bill, Bill Pullman is an instantly forgettable actor like, like almost in almost in every movie he's been in I kind of forget he's in the movie. You know, like, see, like, a month later, if you were to ask me who who the president was in fucking Independence Day, I would struggle. I'd be like, eh, no, it wasn't Jeff Goldblum. Eh, you know. Was it Samuel L. Jackson? No, he wasn't even in that movie, Duncan. Eh. I just forget about... Like, so much so that I remember having a conversation way back in the day on an early episode of the podcast Under the Stairs about, I think it was when we did Geo on the Grudge with the Baz, and it was me, Baz, and former co-host of this show, Graham, uh, chatting about the Ring remake. And both myself and Graham, one, forgot Bill Pullman was in that movie, <laughs> but two, couldn't picture him at all in it. Like, even when it was explained, even when we saw the pictures, the stills of a minute, I couldn't remember those scenes. And it's just because I don't think he's a great actor. I think he's he's kind of like a TV actor. I'm, I, I know there's people out there that are screaming at their devices. No, Duncan, fuck you! Fuck you up the ass! You know what I mean? Like, really, really getting angry. But I just don't... He doesn't sell this movie to me at all. Because we start off with him in the Amazon. Well, actually, the movie starts before that. We start off with uh, a man who has already went through... The, the the zombification process of being buried alive. Now, there's a couple of things we need to say here, right? Uh, things that like strike me as instantly weird. Now, I don't know how they do things in Haiti. I don't know if you know this, Dern, but I come from Scotland, and Scotland is not right beside Haiti. We're not. There's a whole, a whole big distance, a whole body of water, um, and several islands. 
between here and Haiti. But when a coroner is testing a body to see if it's dead, I'm fairly sure it's not standard medical practice to put a pin in its eye. <laughs> no? No, I just I, like I understand that hold that like I understand that hold the the mirror underneath the nose to see if there's any. Like, I can kind of understand that. I can understand checking the pulse. Uh, can even understand maybe slapping the face. Um, but a needle in the eye, I don't get that because if this person is still alive, all you've done is hurt them in the worst possible way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like just this, ah, fucking eye. You know, <laughs> yeah, he was faking it. He was faking it, everyone. He was faking it. The old needle in the eye trick. I just, it just, it just seems it's so fucking insane. It's probably, okay, so they, they talked about it a little bit in the movie and they talked about it a decent amount in the behind the scenes uh, things on the I Have the Same Shout Factory Blu-ray as you have that there was a lot of a uh, mixture of Catholicism and voodoo going on in Haiti at the time. And I'm just, I chalked it up to, they were checking to see if he was a witch. <laughs> you know, the fact that your voice went witch at the end there <laughs> makes me think that maybe you're not a hundred percent convinced on that either. <laughs> Uh, no, I have no <laughs> data to back that up. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah. It yeah, it's the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> yeah, needles in the eye. Uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe it's that whole, is he dead? You wouldn't lie to me. Oh, stick a needle in my eye. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. You know, that, <laughs> like, the, I don't Anyway, so this guy gets buried. Um, buried alive. Um just like our good friend Can um, from Wrath of Can uh, you know and um, he's uh, I don't know where I'm going with this uh, I bought the mission and um, we then jump to this anthropologist character played by Bill Pullman his name is Dennis Dennis Allen uh, for those out there who is in the Amazon and he's there to meet this very famous witch doctor and get some medicine from him to take back to America to obviously test and replicate and you know make a Quite fortune off kinda maybe do we think do we think this do we think this rather obnoxious brown looking shitty liquid which basically looks like diarrhea um, do we think that this is going to make anyone rich I don't know. I think if it could make someone rich, Biocorp will find a way. I think yeah, Bi- Biocorp. Um, twinned with, what do you call it? Um, oh, what's the name of the thing in uh, Robocop? Oh, um, is it Omnicorp? Oh, is that not the remake? OCP. 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 OCP, uh, Omna something pharmaceuticals, can't remember. Um, yeah, so anyway, we're jo- that's a massive aside. But anyway, uh, he's out there, he's doing his thing, and he, he basically has to try, I, I'm going to assume it's like ayahuasca or something, he, he has to take from this chief who has sensed a darkness <laughs> over the top of Bill Pullman's character. It could be that no one remembers Bill Pullman in any movie. 
<laughs> and he's like that. I sense a darkness. Uh, a sinking realization that after you leave, I will not remember who played your character uh, in this movie. So drink this stuff. Um, I'm being horribly sarcastic, and I will try and rein it back, but I can't guarantee anything. He takes his stuff, and then he has an interesting trip where he basically is playing kitty fights with a fucking leopard uh, or a cheetah, whatever it was, and he comes out of it and. During his vision, he it takes a sinister turn, like a lot of trips can do. Uh, so I've been told I've never been on one, and um, he um, he foresees a particular evil witch doctory policeman that we'll meet later on in Haiti, and um, kind of has this forward vision of something bad and ominous that is going to happen to him. And when he comes out of it, his his friend and pilot is dead. Uh, he can't find any of the chief's people or whatever and he apparently walks 200 miles in the rainforest I'm calling bullshit on this right 200 miles in the rainforest uh, to to make it out and gets back and then his reward by his company is to send him to send him to Haiti one of the most violent fucking chaotic places on the planet to hunt for this <laughs> wonder drug it's like, yeah, congratulations, he's like that. I would have just settled for a bonus. I don't know. Not me to hate yeah. it. Lovely. Against the backdrop of the end of the dictatorship of the Duvaliers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, that safe period of time that nothing bad happened there, you know, where where it was a, a stable and strong place to go. Um, we were living that high life. Uh, so he goes over there in search of... At first he goes over in search of um, the people that have come across the guy who we saw get buried at the beginning of this movie, who seven years later is up and walking around. Meets the one of the kind of head physicians at this asylum, who befriends him, and then the story really follows from that part. His One, his attempts to try and purchase this agent which causes a paralysis a, pa- a paralysis I can't say that paralysis state which makes you look dead um, two uh, he wants to get in contact with the, the guy that's been through this to find out try and see if he can get to the bottom of it and three his interactions with this head of the secret police slash black magician um which I'm going to say probably wasn't on the job application. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm fairly sure. Will you uphold the law? Yes. Uh, do you understand the constitution of our country? Yes. Do you know CPR? Yes. Can you fire a gun? Yes. Are you proficient in the dark arts? Yes. Right, you have the job. <laughs> Let me shake your hand there. Um, it's, it's a bit. It's a bit. But... That being said, against the backdrop of Haiti and the the prominence of the religion that you were talking about earlier on voodoo, it's maybe believable. Yeah, it's it's tough because um, I there wasn't a whole lot of early information on the Tonton Makut, uh, except for it was created by the Duvaliers when they came into power and declared themselves presidents for life. Yeah. And I would imagine, I guess, being a black magician or voodoo priest is one of those, like, uh, experience with Microsoft Excel is desired but not required or Mm. something like that for when he did the uh, 
the job application. I think he just had to sneer. <laughs> and, and they said, oh, right, there. You got the fucking job. Dude. He's, he's, uh, the thing about it is, like, one of the things, like, I'm obviously joking about Bill Pullman's casting in this movie as being something <laughs> that I think is maybe poor. Um, that being said, everyone else is on point. And I, I love this. Uh, Zach Mwaki um, is, like, instantly, you know, kind of terrifying from the first time you see him in that vision. He, and it is that like when you say it's that kind of a, a grimace slash sneer that he has, which is just, it, it belies so much malevolence um, and so much corruption. He's just this horrible, horrible individual. And we see him in various different incarnations throughout the movie, um, like a younger version, a much older version, and then towards the end, a dead version. Um, <laughs> crispy version. Very crispy. Very, very crispy. Um, and yet, it, you know, that to me is a great bit of casting. I think uh, Kathy Tyson as Marielle is, is excellent. I think she's brilliant. Um, the, the guy that plays... The, the, the zombie man uh, whose name escapes me at the moment I think he's brilliant like when we hear his story when he's re you know retelling the story of the powder and what happened to him you know there's you know there's so much emotion behind it you know like this is a broken man a man whose brain has just turned to mush and you know the, the experience is so traumatic that he believes that he needs to stay in you know, in the, in the grims of the cemetery because he's with his people, because he genuinely believes he's dead. I think that works really, really, really well. I, I, I like that. I, I, I like those elements of it. I think, once again, not being, uh, not being a practitioner of voodoo, I know what you're thinking. Really, Duncan? Really? Yes, I am not a practitioner of voodoo. It didn't quite take off in Scotland. Um, I, I don't know how true to the actual, you know, the the rituals themselves. This is, I do know that the, there's that great story about the author um, of this of this book kind of getting into a bit of hot water when writing it. Um, yeah. And, you know, he, he certainly claims authenticity and I'm fairly sure people that are involved in those practices probably don't publicise it. Um, and maybe our vocal saying it doesn't happen that way as a way to try and, you know, maybe put people off. I don't know, but I, the, all the practices are are very clever, and I love the setups for the the kind of mind games, the kind of haunting that follows them as as a character. It has like potentially one of the most kind of terrifying scenes out of all Wes Craven movies, I think. Um, and it is that is the idea of you know, being strapped to that chair with a man who's driving nails into your legs and isn't isn't happy with how much pain he's causing you in your scream. He thinks you can go a little bit better. Um, you know, I want to hear you scream. <laughs> and you're like, oh, fucking hell. You know what I mean? And it's a great scene and it's this abuse of power and it's, it's terrifying. I mean, it'll be replicated some... 20 years later in the movie Taken and electrodes will be attached to it <laughs> um, and Liam Neeson will be equally terrifying uh, and less so in every movie that comes after Taken but it's 
you know, all those all those things I think work really well for the movie. The the fact his mind plays tricks on him, I think, is handled great. Um, and I, it's a movie that doesn't really lend itself to much out with the kind of practical f- effects it uses. Everything's, I mean, you're not seeing zombies in this movie, really. Right, yeah, especially the the type of zombie you think of. And I yeah. think part of that is that they did hire real voodoo practitioner, real local voodoo practitioners for the movie. The scene where, um, was it, what's the doctor's name again? Maria? Hey, Mariel? Marielle, the scene where uh, they're talking with uh, Lucian Celine and uh, she goes into the dance trance and there's the guy breathing uh, hot coals and that lady eating glass. That's a real ceremony. Yeah, I could, be- I could completely believe that because I'm watching that saying, why would you fake something like that when you have clear... Like, the, the guy putting pins through his, his cheek, I have seen videos of that sort of thing happening before. That kind of... I'm trying to remember what they call it in, in the circus world. It's not contortionism, it's... Oh, yeah, I forget. The people I know that do stuff like that with hooks, they would call it, like, flesh suspensions. Yeah. I'm trying, it's going to annoy me. It's, it's something that's like a flathead or something. I can't remember what they call them. Um, but, yeah, was like all that stuff is super cool. And you should lean into something like that. If you have people there that can perform the rights, get the people to perform the rights in your movie. Because I've, I'm a firm advocate that sometimes the truth is more terrifying and or stranger than fiction. Um, and they, they do that really, really, really well. Um, the movie loses me a little bit when he goes home the first time <laughs> and the woman at the table attacks him with a knife um, yeah. and it loses me because all the other visions around him are things that only he can see and no one else interacts with when she attacks him everyone else can see it and you know he's just obviously told this terrifying story to them about you know all these it haunts my dreams and my wake he's always with me and then this thing happens and then everyone's okay for him to go back to Haiti which I just don't think would to me it's like that whole thing would have played much better off in my opinion had all those experiences been the dream you know what I mean so he thought Mm -hmm. he got out but he hadn't Um, you know he thought he got away but he wasn't Um. And to me, it just doesn't doesn't necessarily work as well for me. That being said, I love the end of the movie. Like the last the last fifteen twenty minutes of this movie are kind of awesome. The, the the whole idea of the ceremony, um, that that kind of you know the painted cross on his body. Um, I think all that's great. I, you know, I, I think they, they really nail that down. I think the cinematography is kind of cool. Um, it's not aged particularly well. It's a movie that really doesn't benefit from being um, in the HD quality that it is. There's a, there's a bit of grain in there which hasn't cleaned up quite nicely. You get that in some late 80s movies. I think the soundtrack is instantly forgettable, which is kind of a shame. I would have loved more sort of Haitian music being yeah, played. Yeah, because the stuff they do have in there just... Uh, it always gets my it gets my foot tapping. Yeah, um, you know, <laughs> I don't, have the whole movie that like that. Have the whole movie just full of Haitian music from start to finish and just build it up. I don't think the narration works very well. In fact, I think the narration at times is off-putting because one, it's Bill Pullman, and I think Bill Pullman is a 
I'm instantly forgettable character. <laughs> but um, two, I don't understand the chronology of when this is happening. We never see him writing a journal, right? We just hear yeah. him talking about it, and I'm like, well, that has literally just happened to you. So are we? Are we led to believe, which I think this might be the case, are we led to believe that this movie is the reenactment of what ha- you know is what is in his journals, um, rather than you know is the movie and he's going to narrate over some things? I get the feeling the way it's set up is almost as if we are you know we are getting the visual visualization of his journals and that's what we're going through. You know, I arrived at the town and no one, you know, all this stuff, and I'm like, yeah. really. And I don't see him ever writing down anything. So uh, to me, it's not evident that, you know, you can clear it up by one or two shots of him at a cafe or something writing in a book, which is his journal. That clears up that issue. To me, it's a bit... It's not very well handled. Um, and it kind I, of sticks I, I, out I, because it's not well handled. That That's true. And I, I could just as easily believe that it ordered a little bit at the end when they said this isn't enough in movie you need to add some scary bits and make it a bit more marketable because he was trying to do a more uh, faithful to the book adaptation at first mm-hmm. so I don't know if that just ended up on the cutting room floor or if Craven just you know didn't think about it I- I'm curious um one of the things that they were talking about that the author originally wanted to have Mel Gibson play the Bill. Uh, yes. Now I heard this and it's something to do with, um, I think it was something to do with the rights of the book. Whoever purchased the rights to the book, there was something pinned in with Mel Gibson had to be involved with the project, I think. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that works. I don't know if this movie, oh, for all I'm seeing, Bill Pullman is an instantly forgettable character. To me, the fact he is so plain that when the horrible things happen to him, it stands out to me. You know, this guy looks a bit maniacal. He looks like he's in pain. Mel Gibson, to me, is Martin Riggs. He's a lethal weapon. You know what I mean? He's always kind of on the edge and always looks kind of crazy. That It'd be like shoving Jack Nicholson. It's like Jack Nicholson's (laughs) performance in The Shining. You know, I love that performance, but no one's sitting there saying to me, "Oh, he's sane at the start of that movie. He's fucking insane. He's on the fucking, he's on the edge of the cliff, right?" And the, the hotel just pushes him over. Like if Mel Gibson was in this movie, I would feel exactly the same. <laughs> it would have been way more believable that he walked two hundred miles on mescaline. <laughs> um, <laughs> he wouldn't have got taken down uh, by the Tonton Makut so easily. They wouldn't have got him into the chair and nailed through his scrotum. Yeah. (laughs) But there's also, you've got to think as well, um, I mean, it's not a big budgeted movie, right? And Bill Pullman probably, at that time, he was a busy-ish actor. He was doing various bits and bobs. So, you know, I think that you know, I think he's probably on some level you want a kind of plainish, bookish-looking character or actor, you know, to go there. So that's that's fine. Um, it just to me doesn't. Yeah, I'm glad that it, I'm so glad that they didn't go down the the, the road of a Mel Gibson because, like I say, it just to me it just would not would not work. Um, 
the and it, like we were talking about the 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 book it's like you know the the book itself and having never read it and I'm, I'm gonna guess you've never read it either i tried it was a bit too boring for me well this is one of the things that come out of it i, I think wes craven tried to be quite my understanding certainly from what I've read and what he's talked about um, in interviews is he tried to stick closer to the source material of the book try to keep it within there and you know like the, the book like it's a serpent in the rainbow but it's the serpent in the rainbow a Harvard scientist's astonishing journey into the secret societies of Haitian voodoo zombies and magic that's a mouthful I mean that's yeah. a long name and there is like there is you know there has been studies on tetratoxin um and you know and its effects and like a, a lot of what's shown in the movie is you know is has been deemed to be you know side effects for sure um and you know he's he's his harvard scientist astonishing journey blah 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 um <laughs> is that he claims that he he went out experienced and went through these things um and you know first hand saw them etc etc and to me, that that story does translate. I quite like the idea. I've always really liked the idea of someone being out of their depth, and that's Dennis, like in a nutshell. He's out of, out of his depth as soon as he lands. You know, as soon as he lands in in Haiti, he's in trouble, um, and it just continually gets worse for him. Um, you know, his his almost his his greed for knowledge. Is the thing that sets him up, and his kind of there's there's almost a kind of hostile esque approach to how people see him as an American in this movie. It's like, well, there's a great line about you know um, that the cop talks about you know, Haiti being like on this knife edge of, of absolute chaos and anarchy, and America would really like that. They want to keep them there. They don't want them to rise up and do anything, and you know. Like, like, start to build something out of them, even if it is a dictatorship. They just want them, like, constantly on edge and fighting each other because that's something they can control, something they can monitor, and it doesn't stop them moving any, anywhere. And we hear that, and we're like, yeah, well, this guy's maybe taking the moral high ground. And then you remember that he's also the guy that is, like, drugging people and burying them alive. And you're like, yeah, well... You know, oh, you like he without it? sin cast the first stone. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, so that doesn't. Uh, you know, I think that's. I think it's an interesting concept. Like I say, there's a couple of things which, to me, like unbalance the movie a little bit. You know, just kind of knock off his action, uh, axis. And I think it's. I think pacing wise, it's a bit too long. I think it's maybe about ten minutes too long. Um, I'd agree. I think there's a couple of things you can maybe do to, to shorten it down. It has one of the worst sex scenes I've seen in an 80s movie ever. <laughs> oh, like, yeah. You know, and, and I was watching it and, and crying at myself, masturbating while watching it, because I was like, that is literally nothing I won't like to know. Um, <laughs> and that's not cool. Uh, yeah, no, it's just not... A, it's not a, and the thing is, they're in this beautiful setting and the waterfall's cascading in the background and you're in this cave and it's all magical and all the rest so we're going to get a, we're going to get a little hump scene and I'm like alright interesting and neither one of them look like it's fun no one's into this she kind of is looking off at the cave wall he kind of look he's looking around as if he doesn't know exactly which orifice it went into um, <laughs> it's just you know it's just a holy weird 
uncomfortable sex scene to watch and you know it's stuff like that it just kind of throws me because all the stuff that we see with the voodoo is really really interesting um you know i, th- I think it's i think it's well done some of the actual ritual acts i think are are, are great i love the the guy that when we see him the first time has got just his arms painted as skeletons as bones mm. you know but yeah. nothing else and I'm like that's cool as fuck and then later on we see him and he's the full on you know like Baron Samady face paint and all the rest and I love that and then we never get to see a scene like that again which is frustrating oh that was really really cool well, let's do more of that but no we don't get that it's almost as if the movie's saying go and watch Live and Let Die the, the Bond film you know because <laughs> there's plenty more of that in there um, cross marketing yeah like a, a bit of cross marketing and then, you know, the, like, the time we spend doing the rituals are really, really cool, but the time that we're spent away from it, where he's exploring and learning things and writing in his non-existent journal, to me, are just anchors on the story. I, I, I don't think they add anything. I don't think we need that internal dialogue either in a movie setting. I can see what he's doing. I can see that something sinister's following him. I can tell that. So you narrating over the top of it doesn't do anything at all. It doesn't add tension. It doesn't make me more interested or less interested to watch the movie. It's just a needless element added over as frequently as it is. By all means, start your movie with a, you know, kind of cold opening with a voiceover and all the rest and maybe do the same at the end. But, you know, the, the fact that it comes back so many times, it's about four or five times he narrates over what's happening. Um, and I'm just, it's, it's just overkill. It, it, it just doesn't quite work for me it just doesn't tie up in a way which would make me like super happy that being said those negative elements aside that I still think there's a whole hell of a lot to celebrate in this movie and I think the big thing is it bucks the trend of zombie movies like we're, we're full we're full Romero stage at this point and Filchy's out there doing his thing and then this movie comes across it deals with quote unquote real zombies and it rationalises it it grims it and it humanises it I think that works really, really, really well because it's one of those movies that the very premise of it is so different from everything else, even though it's covering a similar subject matter. Um, and there's a couple of one shots that are are, are that show the shot that scarred your your childhood. I think is a is a wonderful shot. I think it's it's really really good. Some of the the quirky camera techniques they do to throw off the perspective of the audience as to whether someone's lying down or being you know vertical. I think they're done really well. So it's it's very much a mixed bag. Uh, to me, it, it's, it's, it's a great watch and I did enjoy it, but there are certain elements that are head-scratchingly frustrating for me and that I'm like, it doesn't take much to just tidy that up. Maybe you should just tidy this up. Um, and it never it never happens. Um, let's talk about favourite scenes. Out with the scene that scarred your childhood. Um, any favourite scenes and Why? I, I liked the ratcheted tension between um, uh, De, De, um, Petrode, Petrod and Dr. Allen. It looked like you were. It looked like you were about to ask me to correct you on something you said, and I can't do that. Then so I'm just going <laughs> to say, yeah, that's his name. Yeah, the. Um, I like that they gave probably an underused uh, drinking game. If you take a drink every time he says dr allen <laughs> dead unless you're scottish um 
I liked a lot of the uh, like I guess you would, uh, crane shots or whatever. Like the uh, the it's sort of right before one of the more boring parts that we were talking about. But when they are marching through the streets and there's all the candles, I think they did a really good job with color. Like the the blessing ceremony of the real voodoo. Mm -hmm. That's probably one of my uh, favorite scenes because even without the backstory of it, you pretty much have all the main characters in one area. That's when the music is good. There's really good color and it sort of gets the exposition done in a lot better way than, um, you know, Bill Pullman sort of talking in a way that you would fall asleep to rather than, <laughs> um, that, yeah, that was one of my things. I liked the snake effect just because I knew how they did it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that was the special effects guy's first movie he ever worked lead on. Yeah. And they, you know, they they still did the practical effect part with the snake. They were working with what they, you know, I think the mummy bride was supposed to be a kid at first. And then they said, no, it has to be an old woman. Hey. Oh, really? So they drugged. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, the Norse. They drugged the snake. I forget what kind of snake they said. They said it was poisonous. So they drugged it and took a life cast of it. Uh-huh. And then, yeah, you, you. I mean, you can really see it with the HD transfer of it. When it yeah. lunges out of its mouth, it's the puppet. Then it's the snake. Then it's the puppet. And I just like that little bit of detail. Uh, it was a little bit of excitement in the... Uh, that part <laughs> is where I kind of let my mind trail a little bit. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're sleeping on the ground and... It's a dream within a dream within a dream. Yeah, I do like uh, techniques like that, if I'm honest. I think um, when you set up the the expectation of a scare, which proves to be a false scare and then a false scare. Like a recent example that I thought was, was used for more fun is that movie Revenge, where you essentially get, I think it's three false start dream sequences back to back and it got to a point where I was like that this should be pissing me off now but go and give me another one yay you've given me another one it's just so much fun <laughs> and it is it's that kind of that, that way where you're following something because there's so much dream stuff done in this movie um, you know and he is questioning everything he sees constantly throughout it um, from the point of you know what once the once the witch doctor has got inside his head you you do follow a lot of this movie going well I, I don't know and it, it kind of does put you into a slight paranoid state very much like our you know, central character to the point of well is this real is it not real is he in Haiti now is he being is he being tortured by these people or is it in his head you don't know um, how did he get in the coffin is he actually in a coffin or once again is he rolling around on the ground like he did with that, that leopard you know it's uh, the movie kind of presets that up for this kind of teasing of what is reality and what is fiction. And once again, I think that's done well. I, I think, to me, the what, one of the scenes that works like really, really well for me, um, specifically, is is that idea of the you know he's in the chair and then he's in a coffin and now the coffin's filling up with blood and there's fucking nothing you can do about it except scream. You know, bloody murder as this blood starts to slowly fill up the coffin, and that to me, I, I, every now and every now and again, Wes Craven puts together a, like a centerpiece shot where I'm just like that. That you know, 
that has come from the deranged mind of a psychopath who is tapped into. And Craven, like to me, scarily has his finger on the pulse with certain things like that. Almost all his movies have at least one shot where I'm like, that, that you know, this hands down terrifying. And it could be Eddie Murphy walking around in a pimp suit. I'm just saying. <laughs> that could be the most terrifying shot in that movie. But, you know, it's... We, we get a lot of those, and I think they, I think it works really well in here. There's about two or three really great set pieces. Um, is there anything else you want to say about this movie, Darren, before we spring a little Netflix grade on it? No, I, th- I think we, we got a lot of the best parts and some of the more questionable parts talked yeah. about. It's, yeah, the, the coffin blood, that dream weird sequence that is so Wes Craven and probably the best part of the movie, or one yeah. of the, you know, best parts um yeah yeah I think like my my kind of closing statement on it would be even for some of its its kind of flaws you know there are certain things that haven't aged well there are a couple of things that don't benefit from an HD transfer and Bill Pullman is I, I I just don't know he's just one of those actors that I'm like I feel that I should like you but I I don't dislike you you're just kind of Meh, you know what I mean? You're just somewhere in the middle of mediocre for me. There are certain bits in the movie where I, I think he genuinely portrays terror really, really well. Um, but for the most part, it, it, the, you could have cast that a bit better. But there's a whole hell of a lot to love about the movie and the way it, you know it, it tells the story, the kind of fever, feverness of some of the dream sequences. Some of the actual voodoo elements herself are really well done. Some of the casting is great. Um, especially towards the villainous side of things, that it's it, it's a weird combination of things, which once again makes it very much a Wes Craven movie. I mean, it's that I kind of started here by saying it was is very different because he's adapting someone else's source material. Ultimately, what you're left with is like a kind of a very strong movie, which has a lot of things to really enjoy about it, but a couple of things which are kind of cringy and really shouldn't be there, and that's. That is almost the hallmark of a classic Wes Craven movie. Um, as you know, Darren Wilson, <laughs> as you know, sir, we do Netflix grades under the stairs. Um, one is hated it, two is didn't like it, three is liked it, four is really liked it, and five is loved it. I'm going to come in probably, I was going to say a 3.5, but I'm leaning more towards the four. And I'll probably stick with the four because, like I say, there are a few set pieces in here that I genuinely think are really, really, really well done and elevate that movie from that 3.5 status, which I think, you know, given a couple of weeks' time and revising grades and stuff like that, I would probably mark it down to 3.5. But kind of fresh off the watch and still riding that buzz, eh, I'm going to kick him with a four. What about yourself, sir? That is exactly what I had written down was a four. Um, It was a 4.5 the other day uh (laughs) yeah uh, last week it was a 4.5 but on second watch and further contemplation it did lower a little bit it's maybe the third or fourth Wes craven movie i would suggest to somebody Mm -hmm. you know uh but it's it's a hell of a lot of fun and there's way more good than bad Right, so the next question before before we, we swing out to you plug in your shows is favourite Wes Craven movie? Do you have a favourite? You know, it 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 floats. Uh I I I'm inclined to say Nightmare on Elm Street just because that's the easy answer. Mm-hmm. But I, 
you know, my secret favorite Wes Craven movie is The Hills Have Eyes. Ah, nice. Uh, there's no harm in that. I wouldn't keep it secret either. Because uh, <laughs> I have a lot of time for that movie. I think that movie's a really, really, really strong one. Um, and once again, kind of ahead of its time, where you see how how 70s horror cinema goes after that. He, he certainly amps things up and goes very, very weird. Um, so that's, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Um, fan of the, are the people under the stairs, are you? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's... That's one of the three that rotates. It's, you know, if yeah, depending on when you ask me, it's Hills Have Eyes, Nightmare on Elm Street, or People Under the Stairs. Yeah. Uh, I think for me, I don't know, I always kind of. I don't know. It's, it's difficult to, to undersell the impact of Scream. I think Scream's a fucking, like, absolute tour de force. A horror cinema, and I think it's probably one of. I think out of all the movies he made, I think Scream's probably the most important. Um, even though without something like, um, you know, a, a Last House on the Left, you really don't get that that sudden influx of grittiness that you get in the seventies. Ostensibly, that movie is still the remake of The Virgin Suicide, so you know it's, it's his interpretation, his remake of that. So a movie does exist out there that's kind of covered the same base where I really don't think a movie had existed doing what like Scream did on the level it did. It's not my favourite um, one. Um, and I know people out there will be going, it must be People Under the Stairs. People Under the Stairs is probably not what... I mean, I, I love that movie dearly. Um, it's, I don't think it's my favourite Wes Craven movie either. I don't know. I think it probably lies... Vampire yeah. in Brooklyn. It's probably Vampire in Brooklyn, Darren. I think it's yeah. going to have to. <laughs> <laughs> Eddie Murphy laughing all the way to the bank on that one. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I ask you that question unfairly because I don't really have an answer. I think it would probably be either Scream or Last House on the left. Um, and I'm not saying that because I enjoy Last House on the left. I just think it's it's an experience you kind of have to go through at least once in your lifetime. Um, so there we go. Right, you have two fantastic shows. Both of them Legion Podcast Network shows. Both doing super interesting content. This is your opportunity, sir, to plug yourself. Okay, uh, let's see. We will go alphabetically. Uh, the Psycho-Semantic Podcast is, as you said, on Legion Podcasts and iTunes and places that I keep finding finding it that I didn't know existed. Um, it's politics, movies, and political movies. If you've listened to the episodes just with Duncan on them, you see we do a variety of genres. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, we've got an Instagram where I put all my fake uh, propaganda and <laughs> uh, a Facebook group where we you know, discuss news and also have a lot of fun with the politics and movies. And... The VD Clinic podcast, I sort of came in to be, and, uh, you know, David, Vanessa and David started that show. That is uh, literature and movies. That's why it's only once a month. Um, yeah, I just sort of became the new co-host of that this year, mm -hmm. and we're going to be, let's see, right? This is coming out Monday? Yeah, this will be out Monday. Okay, so the next thing that we've got going on is Valley of the Dolls and Beyond the Valley of Dolls. Oh, wow. 
That is getting uh, recorded here in about a week and a half. Uh, and we just the, did... It's Russ Myers, isn't it? Yep. Oh, wow. I may, like, I'm, I may give away, like, some knowledge that people should not know. Um, <laughs> uh, one of those movies, and I won't confirm which one it is, was a very early masturbation experience for me. <laughs> like Scotty and Serial Mom. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I've got, I've got, um, is it the, I guess the, I think, well, I know I've got the, I don't know if it has both movies, I, I certainly have one movie, um, that Arrow put out on Blu-ray, and, um, it's still in shrink wrap, because I, <laughs> like, I, 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 I just know that if I watch it, I'll get embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> Better to leave it unwrapped and be unsure than to open it well, and confirm it. <laughs> We are still talking about the DVD here, aren't we? Uh, <laughs> oh, I can't wait to hear that. I've not seen them in years. <laughs> so, that's going to be a good time. Uh, on Psycho Semantic, we just did uh, probably around the same time that this episode comes out. You can come check out our episode with my co-host Vanessa and Andrew and Maddie from Friday the 13th, we did Rules of Attraction. Oh, another favorite in the McLeish household. Okay. Big fan of that movie. Big, big fan of that movie. I used to be a bit of a, an Easton Ellis addict. Um, I went through a full phase of, I think I read all these books in like a month. Um, and then I, I, it was before I'd, I'd seen obviously like American Psycho, but I had never seen uh, Lesson Zero. I'd never seen that, um, so I was very late to the the game to see that movie. Uh, and Rose of the Attraction, I think, um, is a woefully underseen movie. There's such a stellar cast. It's a fucking and, great cast. I, you know, I don't think I'd seen. It. Although I, I do call into question Eric Stoltz's. Irish accent that he does all through the movie. Like this. <laughs> does give me when you watch that movie, I challenge you not to go and find someone called Richard and go, Dick. <laughs> it sucks cold. <laughs> and a oh, fuck you. Um, love that movie so much, man. Oh, I want to watch it now. Um, it's so so good. It's so 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 good, and uh, the weird link from yeah, I, I feel that history was cheated out of a Bateman Brothers movie with uh, Christian Bale and James Vanderbeek. But someone should have given me that movie. I would have been happy had it happened. Uh, that's oh, I can't wait to hear that one as well. So Darren's just firing on all cylinders, putting out fucking awesome content. It's all on Legion, so people should be over there checking it out. Um, and as always, there's a multitude of memes that fly from you all over the place when any of the shows drop. Uh, my face has been uh, implanted on so many bodies that I don't even know who I am now. <laughs> Sometimes I'll look in the mirror and say, wait one second, I'm not a 13th century priest. <laughs> What's going on here? Uh, oh, that's right, that was the Photoshop from yesterday by Darren. Um, don't even know where they got that picture. But yeah, yeah, oh, tons of cool stuff. And like I said at the start, you'll be uh, reappearing back under the stairs for our summer top 10 series. It's going to be a lot of fun, buddy. It's going to be a lot of fun. You're going to hate me by the end of it. You're oh. going to hate me. 
we started out with what hellraiser four or five was the first movie we ever talked about over yep. here yeah so i mean that's that's a defendable movie in some instances but it's all been uphill from there yeah you're gonna have to hear uh, very likely at least one or two episodes that you're on during that series you're gonna have to hear yourself talk yourself out of putting through one of your favorite movies um and that's the moment i break everyone when they're like yeah i can't put this favorite movie through uh you know yeah return of the living dead can't make it to the end you know what i mean yeah well you know you got to kill your darlings sometimes yeah (laughs) you have to do it um i've been having a lot of banter with um with people already online uh and a fairly i want to say new listener to the show i don't think he is necessarily new i think he's just he's catching up and being a bit more active on the facebook group page is my buddy tony um and uh, tony was posting today that he's looking forward to checking out uh he did say though if friday the 13th part one doesn't get through he's going to riot and like you read that sentence and you're like that of course well, of course it's going to go through the importance of that movie until you remember that it came out the same year as The Shining and The Fog yeah yep two movies go through only two movies go through and it came out the same year as The Shining and The Fog yeah oh. sorry about sorry about their luck yeah, there's so much stuff, so many of those choices. So I'm very much looking forward to getting into that. As always, there an absolute fucking pleasure to chat with you. Thank you very much for suggesting this movie to be pulled from the hat. I have a box of goodies which I'm going to send all the way to sunny Columbus for you. <laughs> oh, rad. Uh, yep, it is full of things that will be interesting. Um, and I look forward to seeing the pictures when they arrive. Um, and yeah I'm going to take my final break of this episode when I come back I'm closing out this show ladies and gents I'm going to be doing it right after this you're listening to the podcast under the stairs And you've been listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. This has been episode 144, looking at the serpent and the rainbow. It's a, a movie that has been long overdue to be reviewed on podcast Under the Stairs. As always, thanks to my guest, Dear Wilson, who squeezed in a very quick recording ahead of his sixth wedding anniversary. Him and his lovely wife got away to a punk um, outdoor concert festival thing uh, this weekend. So he, he sneaked in a very quick recording before they went away to to get sweaty and drunk uh, in a giant field surrounded by other sweaty drunk people. I envy you, sir. I envy you. Unless you live in Scotland at the moment, which has got kind of swampy weather. Uh, it's like 23 degrees and very, very humid. So I kind of feel like I am constantly, even when I'm in a house, I feel like I'm in a field surrounded by sweaty punk people. Sweating profusely myself as well. Uh, but that is an image you don't want, ladies and gents. It's an image you do not want. The podcast under the stairs will return on Thursday. We'll be doing a little bonus episode. Um, so yeah, keep your eyes peeled for that. Over the next week or so, there's going to be tons of updates coming. And I might actually put like a mini episode kind of update thing probably in the next two weeks, just gearing you up for the summer top 10 series of shows which are looming so, so close already for 2018 
So there we go. Uh, right, so I'm just going to swing out uh, by saying there's a multitude of ways that you can check out podcasts under the stairs. As always, I would say check us out on Apple Podcasts, come across to the feed and subscribe there. That way you get the episodes as and when they drop and access to the entire back catalogue of podcasts under the stairs. Content, leave us a rating and a review. Ratings are always important. The more of them we get, five stars for example, the higher up the iTunes charts for push for people that are looking for podcasts under the stairs or any sort of horror podcast content. Leave us a review as well. It takes you seconds to do. It doesn't cost anything. It means the world to us. It's the best way to promote the show. As is word of mouth, tell your friends, your loved ones, your neighbours and your enemies to check out Podcasts Under the Stairs. You can also check the show out on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play and tune in. You can come across to our website, tputzcast.com and support the show by clicking the merch tab or going to tputzcast.bigcartel.com and if you buy a poster or a pin, that money comes right back in to support the show. Come across to our social networks. Facebook is facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash tputzcast. And you can also interact with us and the Baz intermittently because he has now a newborn child. Uh, on the twin prongs of social media sexiness, Instagram and Twitter both can be followed at tputzcast. Right, ladies and gents, first of two episodes this week. Strap yourselves in. This is going to be a good one. But wherever you are, whatever the time zone is and whatever you're up to in this big, bad world of ours. Please take care of yourselves out there. This is Duncan McLeish broadcasting live from under the stairs and I'm signing off.